Amen. If you can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, thank you, Bishop, for giving me the opportunity to stand behind this sacred desk and bear my heart. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Amen, amen. You can lay your Bibles down and let's talk to him, asking him to touch our hearts and our minds as we enter into his word tonight. I love I love you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Before you're seated, turn to someone and flash your prettiest smile and welcome them to the house of God. If you have a pretty smile, everyone does. Amen. You may be seated. What God has laid on my heart, I want to talk to us tonight about mercy beyond belief. Mercy beyond beyond belief. We look at mercy and we hear the term used and and we talk about it ourselves and we thank God for His mercy upon each and every one of us. But I'd like for us just to walk through a short discussion on mercy. And I'll do all the talking if you'll do all the listening. Is that all right? All right. We got a deal. Just back me up. Keep me going We'll get out of here shortly. Mercy is the outward manifestation of pity. It assumes need on the part of him who receives it, and then and the resources are adequate to meet the need on the part of those who show it. We know, in reading in our text in Ephesians, where God has ample mercy. The writer says, God full of mercy. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he begins to share with them the expectations that he has for his followers. He says, be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. In the example above, the Bible commands the followers of Christ to have mercy in their heart towards others. And it is expected that it would continue to grow in the heart of those who follow after Christ. And 
It is God's grace is the incubator, if you could say it this way, of the Christian lifestyle. It's because of God's grace He has given us the strength to do things that we did not think we could do on our own, and we cannot. It is because of His grace and mercy that He has shown upon each and every one of us that we have a method that we can reach out to others and we can be merciful. We find the followers of Christ are commanded to extend mercy just as it was extended to you. It is easy for us to um, draw lines and say, I will only be around this type of an individual, or sometimes mercy runs out between individuals where they say, they've crossed the line. That was the last straw. I will help them no longer. And there are times when mercy in our flesh hits a wall, when we say, I can do no more. But there's things that God can do to help us. When we lean on Him, He gives us that grace to take that extra step, to be the people that nobody else around you think that you can step up to the occasion and to become. There are people in my life that they are there for a set reason, and it is for them to help push me along to do more. Because in our flesh, it would be easy to sit back and just ride out this little thing called 2020 COVID and just say, I'll see you all on the other side. But nowhere in Scripture does it tell us let off the gas pedal and just float along and see how things happen. When times get tough, just sit down and watch others go on and do their thing. But God challenges us. Even when we have things come against our life, we are still held to the standard of being merciful. As Christians, we are to be merciful to others around us. In the Christian conduct of our life, we are to extend mercy to others. And it's not just in the sense of some people only think of, of saving one's life, staying an execution, holding someone back from their life being taken from them. But there are ways that we can be merciful. You can ask how you can do the same thing that God has done. And and you begin to pose those questions. God, you're expecting me to do something that only what I think you can do. But God gives us the strength because our testimony is founded upon mercy. And if you have not taken the opportunity to live through that and recognize that God, just as the writers did, it was but for the mercy of God. And our testimony can be very much the same way. We extend that to others, and we are telling them, I am testifying of the fact that God's mercy is real. It is the dependency on Him that allows for His followers to understand that He is the only reason we have strength, making us more aware of our need for Him and thus extending the role of God deeper in our hearts and reaching out further to others. 
The more we reach out to others with Christ in our heart, the deeper seated He becomes, and the reward of which is great in the kingdom of God. Because when we reach out to others and are merciful to them, it just drives Him deeper in our heart. And He is, if you could say it this way, He's the force multiplier. You come with one effort, and you have God that is full of mercy right behind you. Extending your arm, you think, this is all I can do. And God says, I'll take that, and now let's do this with it. It is the multiplier. It is what we think that we have given all that we can. God says, just give a little more. It's the widow that gave everything. And she gave so much more than those that walked in obedient to the law and trying to make a show of things and put themselves and their popularity and their own flesh higher than what they were really extending into the kingdom of God. We found someone who gave and God multiplied. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 50, many of us will probably be reading this with our families This holiday season, we come into Christmas and we're talking about the story of Jesus. I want to read just one verse of Scripture from this. We find that Mary had just met with her cousin and they had uh, time together. We see that the baby leapt within her womb and began to be confirmed of the word that God had given. And we find Mary uttered these words, And His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. That is a phrase that I think holds promise because it is unceasing. It continues even to this day. If you pursue after God and you love Him and you care for Him and it says that if you are unceasing in the way you pursue after Him, it's those that fear God, understand His power, understand His strength, There's things that God can do that will blow your mind. And we settle for what we can do in our flesh just so we get instant gratification. But God has unlimited resources. That is why it is easy for us in our flesh to look at people and say, they're not interested in church. But God. We judge people on the outside, but only God knows the inside. And it is upon us, and this is a way we can extend mercy to others. It is by showing them that God is the way, the truth. And there is no other way to get satisfaction in life but by introducing Him to them. But we can hold it back when we say, They have no interest, and we talk ourselves out of sharing God. But God is merciful to those who fear Him. We are all saved because of His mercy towards us, and without the mercy of God, we would all be trapped in the sins of our life. Our testimony would not even be but an utterance in our heart, in our lips, in our mind, We would have nothing but be saying, I wish I could get free. But we stand on this side of mercy, saying, I thank God that I'm free. 
I thank God that I know what freedom truly is. We look back and say, if it wasn't for His grace and His mercy, where would I be? I don't want to go back to that way of life. I don't want to go back to that way of thinking. I don't want to go back to the way my heart and the condition of it was. I promise you, I thank God for His mercy. And when you put it in the context of where you were and to where you are now, it is mercy beyond belief. Because no one can comprehend and say, oh, that wasn't you. Oh, pardon me, sir. Pardon me, ma'am. Yes, it was. But God, in His infinite wisdom, extended mercy to me. Because He loved me, I now have a life worth living. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's the person that comes to God to obtain favor that will have the deepest sense of need for forgiveness. Now, an altar for some is very difficult to walk up to. But some people uh, find it very easy because, um, and I don't want to you know, speak down of anyone, but some people can approach an altar um, flippantly, just casual, just like sitting on the pew. It's just, it's just uh, another piece of furniture in the house of God. Now, there's one reason why you could. It's because it's a refuge. And that's where I feel that we should have the altar where we can run to and lay our heart on it. But some think of it as just another piece of furniture. I'll push it around, flip it over. Uh, kids can run on the top of it and play on it. But there's something there that I left many times. I've left every care of this world. I've left tears and sorrows. And I've left pain that pierced my heart to the deepest core of myself. It's not just another piece of furniture in the house of God. I approach it with reverence and respect because I know when I go there, God's mercy is extended upon me and He washes me with His blood again and again. It's not just a piece of furniture. It's a refuge for me. It's a place I can run to. It's a place that I can find a place where I can say, God, I don't know where you're at. I can't feel you. But just the mention of your name, I can go down to an old-fashioned altar I can kneel down no matter what I've done, and I can leave it there. And I know He will meet me there. It's because of His mercy. It is the repentant heart that gets the attention of God. God knows the inward thoughts of men. God knows exactly what you're thinking at this very moment, sitting in his house, or listening online, or listening to this uh, remote at another time, at another time down the road months from now. God knows exactly what's going through your heart and your mind. He knows whether your heart is repentant or it's not. He knows the sincerity of it. He knows the sincerity of which you approach the service tonight. All the while, mercy is waiting there to wash us draw us closer. He knows and He's waiting for you to make that step of faith and go say, God, you know me more than anybody else. You know the inward thoughts. You know my heart. God, 
help me. God's grace is the activating agent that when compiled with the attributes of a follower of Christ, it multiplies the strength and ability that others see Him. It is the responsibility of the followers of Christ to assume the role as ambassador of Christ. Now, you may have, maybe not, paid attention and understand and, and Think back, you said, I, I mentioned the words followers of Christ because it seems today everybody's a Christian. In order for you to follow Christ, you have to do as he says because everybody can throw the bumper sticker on, they can throw the crucifix around their neck, they can go to the Christian bookstore and buy them a little Bible, they can listen to 88.5 KLJC and feel good about themselves all the while sit there a sinner on the church pew, not feeling God, not knowing God, and not have a direction in their life, and call themselves a Christian. But let God's Word lead you and guide you into all paths of truth. Then you are becoming a follower of Christ. It's people that follow Christ to become like Him, instead of applying a label so you look like others around you, or you get the benefit of being called a Christian. There is nothing in the Bible that says you will walk through those pearly gates because you call yourself a Christian. It is because you have followed after Him, not after somebody else that says this is what you need to do to be a Christian. But God has explicit instructions on what it takes to follow after Him. When you follow those instructions, you become an ambassador. We are all ambassadors. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 20, it says, For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And Paul in his writing is speaking as an ambassador, even while he is held in play in his place of assignment in chains. And if I could leave something with you tonight, regardless of what has held you in place, in the place that you are in right now, you are still an ambassador. Your circumstances, the things that's going on around you, does not give you the luxury, the liberty, permission for you to lay down being a Christian at any time. Paul would have been easy for him to just melt into his surroundings. Instead, he penned words that we read today. Instead, he reached out and encouraged those around him. An ambassador is responsible to bear the message of peace and broker relationships between two entities. And as a follower of Christ, we must all be ambassadors of His good will. The ambassador does not get to choose the message. It doesn't always get to choose the audience. It doesn't get to choose the place of which you are assigned. You are appointed for a position and you go where you are called. God has called each and every one of us to live in a fashion, in a manner that people see us. They get the message, they hear it, they believe it, and lives are changed because of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
and verse 20. It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It puts it on just a little bit different light. It's not all about others, it's about me. It puts the importance of my walk with God and where I'm at, no matter what the state or condition, God is wanting me to be able to share this gospel. Now, some could say, well, it's only upon the preachers uh, that God has called. No, I I beg the difference. God has called us all to be followers of Him. You cannot follow somebody and then when they say, tell me why you follow him, say, well, go listen to my preacher. It doesn't work. They say, I thought you followed after him. No, it is something we must live and it must breathe within us everything that we are. We can all have hobbies. We can all have interests. But none of us can let any of those items get ahead of our priority on following after Christ. I know people today had family members that would get up and walk out of church services because they had events every Sunday that they had planned. And they would walk out before church was over because they said, I have to be there because people outside at this event are counting on me. And it was every Sunday. Just so they could go to a hunting club and shoot competitions. They would walk out of church in the middle of preaching. But my family, my family. And you think, why would they do that? It's because something had a higher importance than God. It didn't matter how many souls were praying in the altar. It didn't matter how good the preaching was and if God was reaching for people that were there. It happened countless times And I cannot remember a time in my life, in my childhood growing up, that that did not happen on a Sunday morning. Because somebody had a higher priority than the house of God. Their ambassadorship, it was able for them to lay it down. And they were pursuing after a trophy from the hunting club. And they'd come in and say, look at the trophy I got. Did you get that last Sunday? Interesting. When we've seen people's lives getting changed, filled with the Holy Ghost, all the while they were driving down the road going to what was appealing to them. As ambassadors, we don't get to lay this down. We don't get to forsake and say, it's no longer meaningful to me. But we have all been called. We've all been called. Part of being an ambassador is extending mercy. It goes beyond the thought of preserving the life of another. But living the life of mercy places others before your own self-interest. There are people that we can read about in the Word of God that were obedient only to the law. They were consumed by the letter of the law. And by thus, their action kept them from receiving more of God's instruction. They were called the Pharisees, were followers of the law to the furthest extent. You can read in Matthew chapter 23, 
and verse 23, we find Jesus speaking words unto the scribes and Pharisees. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have done, and not to leave the other undone. You see, it was easy for the Pharisees to pay their tithes and look good in giving to the house of God. But they could look and act holy and be filthy on the inside. Jesus then used those very strong words in Scriptures in verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. I never want to have that to be the condition of my life. And it's not one that I can stand back and judge and say, oh, they're like that, and I'm not. That's not my place. Then I have just become just like them. God does not give us the liberty to judge. He asks us, and you can read about it in the Scriptures. We've already talked about where Jesus was telling His disciples on how they should conduct themselves. Right after that, He talks about judgment. He had just called them to be His disciples, and He gave them a very important lesson. The following words after one of the verses of Scripture we read was talking about not judging others. Scriptures show us that we all, we need all attributes of Christ to be considered a follower. Having a single attribute is not the intention of Jesus. It's not so you can say, I do this, so others can say they are a follower of Christ. For example, people see babies and they say, oh, they have their father's eyes, or their mother's nose, or they have the hair like their grandfather had. However, when they can say they look just like their father or their mother, when you have met my parents, he would say, you look just like your mother. And people who know my brother would say, he looks just like my father. In my own family, people that I have not seen for years upon years, and my family, my children, has been at an event, people that they don't really know have walked up and says, your brother and sister golf's kids. And they're like, yeah, how did you know that? Because you look like your parents. Having a single attribute does not make you more holy than everyone around you. Even removing the comparison of yourself with others and focusing on an area just because you feel it is your calling or your strength is deceiving yourself. Because God has called us, and Pastor, several months he went through the series of telling us how we ought to become like Christ and on Tuesday nights, teaching us that they build one upon another. And it's easy for us to say, well, I'm just a loving person. And so that's just my personality, and that's what I will be in the kingdom of God. But God has called each and every one of us to be a well-rounded, loving person. Not just to focus on one area because it's easy for you. It's a cop-out. It's an easy way for you to say, well... 
that would challenge me too much. Or someone else would be doing this effort in the church. Thus, I feel like I'd be giving up a position or a status, so I must hold on to this. You have missed the mark. We are all called to be merciful. Not because it's easy for others and hard for other people, but we are all called to be mercy, merciful. There's a reason for it. We look in the words grace and mercy. There's a writer wrote commentary, made this statement about grace and mercy. It says that grace describes God's attitude toward the lawbreaker. Mercy is His attitude toward those who are in distress. We see this in action when we read some Scriptures. We find that grace precedes mercy in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 19, we find where Lot and his family, they're being led out of Sodom by angels. It says, the angels went down and grabbed them by the hand and led them out of Sodom. It says, behold now, in verse 19 of Genesis 19, and 19 says, behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed me unto me in saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith, love which is in Christ Jesus. That is a faithful saying, and worthy of all, all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. And before... We get on our high horse and think of how important we are. Why was Paul so appreciative? It's because he had obtained mercy. If we look in verse 12, it says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul could say mercy means something. It's powerful. It changed my life. There were some things that I was doing. I was blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. I was doing things proud and haughty with an insolent spirit. But I done them ignorantly in unbelief. And the Savior, as we could quote him in his words, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There is mercy for those who do things ignorantly. But the people who don't, they try to do things on purpose with intent to destroy others in the kingdom of God. 
That's between you and God. But with you a repentant heart, you get the attention of a Savior. It's the repentant heart that turns His eyes upon you. It's the repentant heart when you deal down on an altar and He takes and He dries those tears that fall from your face. It's with a repentant heart that you have the audience with the Creator of the universe. No matter what you've done, God is here to help you. No matter the steps you have taken so far from the church, God is willing to take you by the hand just as the angels did to Lot and his family and lead you out of a situation that will destroy your soul. And you'll say, don't look back. Don't look back. It's the looking back that is the wishful thinking, saying, it's not that bad after all. God hasn't come back yet. I still have time. But no, I'm here to tell you tonight, you must fall upon the mercy of a loving Savior. He's the one who looks over you and says, I see the heart. Here's mercy. It's because of His grace that He can reach down and pick you up and give you strength to go through things you never thought you could. Things that you think have such a strong grip on your heart, on your mind, and the condition of everything that you do. God can reach down and break those chains. He don't even have to touch them. He just has to say, you're free. You're free. He spoke to the man who was consumed by devils and cast them out. He didn't grab him by the throat. He didn't rip his clothes off of him. He didn't go in there and and physically assault the man to get the devil out. He spoke to him. He spoke to him with a voice that was saying, I'll free you. You ask, I'll give mercy. And he reached down, and he touched that man, and he changed his life. And next thing you know, he was clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And your heart tonight is just as filthy as the man who the devils went out and filled the bodies of swine and ran off the cliff. God is here to wash that same amount of sin out of your life tonight. It's all about your approach of God. My heart is full of repentance. I need your mercy. Just like the Apostle Paul could pen the words and begin to tell others, I was chiefest among you. I was the one who sinned what I think more than anyone but God, full of mercy. In closing, a few things I want to go through. We talk about the words grace, mercy, and peace. A couple of times we see this referenced in Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, we find Paul addressing Timothy. He says, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. From God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
our Savior. We read these words, grace, mercy, and peace. Is this merely an opening statement? Some could say it is. It seems like it's more of a template. It seems like it's replicated through several writings. Could we just say it's as common, some of us who listen to Odyssey, is it just as common as Eugene saying greetings and salutations? Is it just as flippant? Is it just as shallow? Is it just, I don't believe it is. Because when you see mercy and peace used in the same verse of Scripture, you will find that they are used in the same exact order with the exception of Galatians 6 and 16. Paul knew something about obtaining the promise of peace if you'll follow after Christ with all your heart. Because he said he had obtained mercy. So when I see grace, mercy, and peace, for grace, it's what God has saved you from and His promise to keep you. In mercy, it is the act of God in our lives. And in peace, it is the result experience in the heart of man. Peace. Peace. I dare say there are souls sitting here tonight. You don't have peace. You can just say, oh, those are scriptures, Brother Goff. No, Paul wrote grace, mercy, and peace because grace meant something to him. Mercy touched his life and changed him. And he has a result of it is peace in his heart today. Mercy beyond belief. A favorite passage of Scripture of mine, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, if the musicians would come. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Seated right in the midst and the foundation of presenting your body as a living sacrifice, being holy, being acceptable unto God, it is only possible because of the mercies of God. Because without God's mercy, you are conformed to this world. Your works are not good. Your works are not acceptable. Your works are not perfect. And you are not walking in the will of God. Obedience to Scripture is required for the church to rise to the occasion and to be merciful to others. But obedience to the Word of God is required upon whom mercy is needed tonight to wash them of their sin. The last passage of Scripture, if we could all stand tonight, I'll take us to Isaiah and read a passage of Scripture. It's a prophecy in the first chapter of Isaiah. It was in response to the direction that they had taken into deep sin. However, he delivers a message of mercy unto them. After picture, after the picture is painted in the previous verses, one would expect judgment of God to rain down on them with no option for repentance. But it says in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, 
saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, and for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God has given somebody the opportunity to tap into grace, mercy, and peace once again. I don't know the condition of your heart. I don't know what you need to absolve yourself of. But I promise you tonight, God has a place made just for you. He's not asking you to come and Him be your personal Savior. He's asking you to come down and let Him be the Savior. The one who saved the world. The one who's laid His life down. The blood that was promised to wash us of our sins. That is what church is about tonight. The soul of man. Can we lift our hands and talk to Him tonight? Focusing our hearts and our minds towards Him.